Coming at you from the We Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 62 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Staten, and I'm joined this week by Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton. A weekend full of college football. The University of Houston Cougars blow out Texas State. Jeremy and myself's Baylor Bears knock off Oklahoma State to improve to 4-0 on the season. They're actually the only FBS program in the last four years to start each season 4-0. So congratulations to Jim Grobe and the Bears. But uh, a lot of excitement going on in college football. A lot of major upsets and we'll kind of get into our picks here in just a few moments but i'm curious kevin uh, your cougs looked absolutely dominant against texas state yeah and sadly i was another game i was not able to witness because i was at uh, the berry center to, to watch a high school football game which is of course my actual paying day in day out job so uh, but i was able to follow it on twitter and it was absolutely the kind of bloodbath that you want if you're a u of h fan that kind of keeps them uh, top of mind for all the pollsters uh i you know obviously you want to be there at the end of the season the college football playoffs you look back to wins like this and say okay you know not only can they beat good teams uh, in competitive games they can absolutely blow the doors off of bad teams and that's exactly the sort of resume you want to put together if you're U of H fan. Of course, it's well established on this program that I am. So it was a pretty satisfying weekend for me. So the Cougars looking dominant as ever. Greg Ward and uh, the offense just look absolutely unbelievable for the Cougs. And uh, everything seems to be lining up towards that game on November 17th against Louisville here at TDECU Stadium in Houston, Texas. But uh, Jeremy, you did not make it to the Baylor game this weekend, but you were able to watch it on TV. What was your reaction, Baylor? Obviously covering the spread, which opened the week at 10 dropped down to about seven and a half at kickoff. Uh, the Bears won by 11. Initial reactions? Uh, no, I was uh, totally thrilled to see Baylor perform the way it did. I, I, I was a little nervous. I felt like Baylor got lucky. I felt like the um, the defense really kind of misfired, especially when it was third and long for Oklahoma State. Uh, really unacceptable uh, third down conversions. I mean, there was a couple of plays where Oklahoma State was like third and 25, and they managed to convert. So other than that, I mean, I was glad to see Seth Russell um, connecting with his receivers a lot more. It seemed like he was uh, showing a lot of leadership and really stepping up to the plate and taking – on uh, you know on his shoulders just the you know the outcome of the game I and mean, I could really see that he was uh, he, he's much improved since he started the season um, there were a couple of other things that sort of uh, worried me there was the fourth down uh, going for it on your own 25 yard line uh, Jim Grobe claimed that his headset uh, went dead and that's how that happened but other than that I mean Baylor actually looked pretty good last night. Um, you know, it's sometimes it's hard for them to grind out these uh, slugfests with good teams like Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State's a very good team. I think they're consistently underrated. And sometimes um, I think because of their coaching situation, their uh, record doesn't always reflect how good of a team they are. So, uh, but I got to give credit to the Bears coming out of the situation there with Art Browse and really showing that they're a, you know, that they're a contender in the Big Twelve this year. It was kind of surprising to me. Uh, Baylor typically is a team that doesn't care about time of possession because they typically run anywhere between 90 to 110 plays per game. That was not the case on Saturday night in Waco, Texas. The Bears ran, I believe, less than 60 plays. If you look at the time of possession, uh, the Bears had the ball for just 18 minutes and 33 seconds. And Oklahoma State, also an up-tempo offense, had the ball for more than 41 minutes. So uh, the Bears' defense was on the field for quite a long time. Uh, Oklahoma State managed to score 
uh, 24 points in the game, and one of them was a gift after a botched punt return uh, from the Bears, giving Oklahoma State the ball within the five-yard line. Uh, but overall, I did think the defense played well. I really like the 3-4 defense that uh, Phil Bennett has switched to for the Baylor Bears, and uh, there were a few standouts for me on offense, specifically Ish Samora. Uh, he had a phenomenal game coming back from a three-game suspension uh, that he had earlier this year. He had eight receptions for 175 yards and two touchdowns, and some of those receptions were critical on third down and long situations, one of which propelled Baylor to a a 99-yard touchdown drive. So credit to him for uh, kind of uh, wearing, I guess, kind of playing through the jitters uh, for his first game of the year. Uh, On the defensive side of the ball, I thought Avion Edwards played well. He had 12 tackles, a sack, and a quarterback curry. Trayvon Blanchard in the bear position did phenomenal, as usual. He had four and a half tackles for a loss, 11 total tackles. And then Taylor Young, uh, who we'll actually mention here in just a few minutes with an interview with Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus, uh, had a nice game at the linebacker position with uh, 10 tackles and two quarterback hurries. But I thought the freshman actually played well. And Vikendrick Vons, who is a freshman, and then also Bravion Roy from Spring, Texas. Uh, both of those guys probably were not going to get playing time this year until, uh, you know, the, all the departures in the offseason. But they they stepped up to the plate, and I really like the tenacity that this defense has. And it, it's kind of surprising uh, to me to see the Bears play at this level. And uh, maybe that's partly Jim Grobe with the defensive mindset being able to help out Phil Bennett a little bit and just kind of leave the keys of the offense to to Kendall Bryles and company, but uh, the Bears start off 4-0 and on the season, number 13 in the AP poll, and uh, the month of October actually looks pretty weak. They have two bye games, and then or they have two bye weeks, and sandwiched in between games against Iowa State and Kansas before traveling to Texas on October 29th. So the Bears looking for a 6-0 start heading into Austin, uh, which should be a fun matchup. But, uh, you know, in just a few moments, we're going to have Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus on the podcast. We we discuss a little bit about the Texans game uh, and just reactions from their debacle against the uh, Patriots on Thursday night. But we also dive into some analytics and uh, discuss the U of H uh, talent this year and whether or not they have what it takes to run the table. Also kind of diving into uh, the Baylor Bears and some top prospects uh, that they have on the team, specifically Katie Cannon and Taylor Young. But I'm curious, with with Mike Renner, what can our listeners expect from that interview? Well, uh, just a, a different point of view or perspective. You know, we talked to a lot of talking heads, guys we love, you know, guys like uh, Sean Pendergast from 610 comes on, talks Texans, and he's not, uh, you know, he's not an X's and O's, you know, numerical analytics types guy. I love his perspective, but but what Renner brings to bear on the on the issues, I think, is really uh, the sort of mathematical approach that we haven't really seen before on this show. So uh, we appreciate having Mike on, and it's uh, it's always a pleasure talking to guys from ProFootballFocus.com, which is a great site that does a lot of um, really high-level mathematics work, stuff that's way above my head, for sure. So I appreciated it uh, as much as I was able to or capable of, and I certainly enjoyed it. Now, speaking of something that you also enjoyed this week, uh, your picks were on point. And as most of our listeners know, we uh, started at the beginning of the year, decided that we were going to do college football picks. We were going to pick five games per week. And the winner of our, I guess, pick'em contest will get free coffee for a year. And uh, Kevin, you entered the week in last place. Uh, But our game slate this week was Florida, Tennessee, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Wisconsin, Michigan State, LSU, Auburn, and Arkansas, Texas A&M. 
and you came away with five points this week to uh, move into a first place tie with myself. How are you feeling as a result? Well, listen, I said last week, I've got a system. I just got to trust my system. I'm like that uh, smartest guy in the room playing blackjack. You know, I know what I'm doing here. And I knew it was just a fluke that I was not in first place. So I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed to be sharing first place with you. I think I should be way out in front here. Just the way, you know, my confidence instructs me and tells me. But uh, but certainly a good week for me. And I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed coming out ahead. It feels good. Jeremy, on the other hand, uh, you actually did submit picks this week. And you ended up with zero points What's up with that? I I'm I'm terribly ashamed of myself. I, you know what? I'm gonna give myself uh, a little bit of credit for the LSU game. Uh, I think that I called that one correctly, but the rest stole it away from me. So um, I was there watching poor LSU get the win taken away from them. But other than that, I am I should be dutifully ashamed of myself, uh, and I will try my best to not be such an f up next week. Um, hopefully I can get, uh, back on the horse here, but, uh, so far it's, uh, it's really embarrassing because I, I, am basically, I tied myself for that week where I didn't submit any picks. So, you know, it would have, uh, made no difference had I not just responded. <laughs> I'm kind of curious. How do you think that, uh, LSU was cheated out of the win? They snapped the ball at zero seconds. I mean, that's clearly <laughs> the correct call. No, it was, it was absolutely not the correct call. That was a touchdown. I disagree with the refs and I'm also just really hurt right now. So I'm not maybe making the most rational argument, but, um, I just, uh, I think the LSU should have walked away with that one. You know what? Let, let, let's be honest here. The refs uh, that snapped with Oklahoma State and Central Michigan, the refs, you know, I mean, I, I just I can't trust these guys. So I'm going to go ahead and say the LSU won that game. Okay. Unfortunately, I don't think Vegas agrees with you. So that's not how gambling works. But uh, in terms of other sports news here in the city of Houston this week, uh, the Rockets were actually active on the trade market, sending Michael Beasley to the Bucks for Tyler Ennis, a point guard out of Syracuse. And Kevin, you're, you are the uh, resident basketball expert. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the trade? This is not what you'd call a blockbuster trade necessarily, but it is a trade that improves the team certainly. So on a personal level, and I don't know Mike Beasley, Beasley personally, but uh, but I love his game. I love watching him. I love what he brings, and I love redemption stories. So I was I was on board with bringing him back from China after the season he had there, with him having some success. And I got to say, on a personal level, I'm a little sad to see him go. I'll be rooting for him to have success in Milwaukee, except when we play them. But uh, but I do love Tyler Ennis and what he brings in. He's a guy with unfulfilled, untapped potential, and he's a guy that's really going to make this system under Mike D'Antoni work, I think. You know, a pure passing point guard. Um, his assist numbers were not great with Milwaukee, but there was also kind of a, a log there for time. He was not able to get on the floor as much as you'd like to see a young kid be able to do, which he will be able to do here because who do we have? Uh, Prigioni. I have no faith in Prigioni. Gary Payton, uh, he's a young guy again that I hope gets some some time on the court and is able to improve and develop, but uh, but there's really no reason that Ennis shouldn't excel and shouldn't become, um, if not the starting point guard, then certainly a guy contributing a lot of time uh, to this team. So I, I'm excited about this probably more excited than I ought to be based on the nature of the trade and how big it isn't but uh, it's just great to have some basketball to talk about finally after uh, what's been sort of a, a drought more on the trade uh, Ennis was the 18th overall pick in the 2014 NBA draft uh, he's Canadian and played on the Canadian national team in a qualifying tournament this summer actually played uh, pretty well but uh, Jonathan Fagan who uh, we had on the podcast earlier this year, said that Ennis is, quote, a strong pick-and-roll point guard, extremely competitive with a high basketball IQ and a strong work ethic. He does not have great quickness and will not beat opponents with athleticism, but he always has known how to run an offense. So I think that uh, kind of alludes to what you said with Mike D'Antoni. I think it fits to a system, and essentially you just need a guy that's going to compliment James Harden. And I think that uh, from everything that we're hearing out of the Rockets camp, uh, it seems like this team is starting to gel a little bit during the offseason and uh, is going to do better than just 41 the season. 
Well, and according to Fagan as well, Ennis was almost like he'd been there the whole time in terms of knowing the playbook, being able to fit in with the guys on the court in practice. So that, that does speak to his basketball IQ, how quickly he's been able to pick things up. And you want to give Mike D'Antoni as many tools uh, to implement his system, I think, as you possibly can. So that's, you know, we, we've kind of gone all in on the guy. You know, we, we didn't even have a talk with Jeff Van Gundy because we believed in D'Antoni, or at least the organization did. So I like that they're getting him the pieces he needs in order to try to make this work. So at the end of the day, we can look back and say, all right, that's on D'Antoni, whether it's win or lose. Now, one more thing that I want to bring up on the NBA front, uh, Kevin Garnett, after 21 seasons in the NBA, decided to retire uh, just this past week, and uh, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, absolutely standout talent, Uh, but I'm going to pose this question to both of you guys, Uh, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, and Tim Duncan, those three are going to go into the Hall of Fame in one class in five years, is that arguably one of the greatest Hall of Fame classes of all time? Well, you can certainly make that argument. I mean, those are three great players, and particularly Tim Duncan, I think, is the guy that stands out. Kobe Bryant, the name, you know, the guy who sold the most shoes. Uh, he does have championships, of course. He had a lot of really good talent around him, a lot of good coaching with him as well. So I, I, if you're if you're asking me to pick a favorite of those three, uh, Tim Duncan would be mine, a guy who's quiet, you know, goes to work, does his job, has been radically effective for uh, many more years, I think, than people thought he would be, uh, just sort of having resurrection season after season. So I think that to some extent, the way you feel about Kobe versus Tim Duncan does kind of – uh, speak to the way you appreciate basketball sometimes, and I don't, I don't hate anybody who likes Kobe Bryant and what he was able to accomplish. But, uh, but to me, uh, those three guys all had amazing contributions to the game. They elevated the game, uh, and Tim Duncan would probably be my favorite of the three in terms of what he was able to do and sort of the team spirit that he embodied there in San Antonio. I absolutely loved watching Tim Duncan play. Uh, he was a phenomenal asset for the Spurs and kind of what Pompovich did. I mean, you know, kind of watching that transition from, uh, you know, David Robinson kind of passing that torch to Tim Gum- to Tim Duncan was uh, just remarkable. And, and that is probably one of the best franchises in the NBA at the moment. But uh, Jeremy, you had the opportunity to see Tim Duncan quite often uh, within uh, the city of Houston as, you know, he played the Rockets three to four times a year. Uh, what is your reaction to all of the major retirements highlighted by Kevin Garnett this past week? I mean, I'll be honest, I have this myopic focus on college football, so it prevents me from seeing any other sport right now. But um, from seeing Tim Duncan play in Houston, um, a longtime great for the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, I, uh, I've i seen him. He has, I don't know how many national championship rings um, in his uh, safe. I, it's, he's, he's an amazing player. Um, it'll be, it's kind of the end of an era there in San Antonio with seeing him go. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's, I, he absolutely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I want to, I want to jump in though, because people, I actually had a conversation on Twitter this week uh, via the at Cypher Sports account, which is the account that I run. And somebody was saying that I said my opinion, and of course, I'm very biased that the district I cover, 76A, is the best district in the state of Texas. And someone threw back at me, well, they don't have state titles. And I think this argument gets made against basketball players too. Like, you got to have the rings. I think that's an asinine argument because I think there's so much in the NBA, a little bit less so, but in all sports, there's so much luck, so much chance, so much flukiness that goes into earning a championship at whatever level that I really think you cannot judge greatness based on championships because you look at a guy like Carl Malone you know an all-time great who never had a ring there I don't hold it against him I mean he played as well as he could and had a lot to do with the pieces around him so when you're talking about individual greatness obviously we looked at Garnett there who has one ring versus Kobe and uh, Tim who have five apiece that's uh, that's something to consider it speaks to the performance of their teams but I don't think it's a referendum on their individual talent or individual accomplishments because there's really no one player who can take a team and win a championship on his own back. Even LeBron had a lot of help, you know, uh, when he when he got his. So, you know, I, I think that if you're one of those people that says you got to have rings, maybe reflect, take some some time to pray and think about the way that you view the world. Because I think that you just really have the focus on the wrong things. 
for once, I actually completely agree with Kevin there. I, I don't think championship rings make a player great or not. Um, you're right. It's, it's the system you're playing in. And you're just one part of that system. Uh, Kevin, I think that's a great point, actually. When you look at the NFL, you've got Dan Marino. He was a Hall of Fame quarterback. Uh, he won the MVP, nine-time Pro Bowler. Uh, he holds so many different passing records, but he doesn't have that Super Bowl ring. So uh, to me, I, I do see your point, and I think that uh, legacy should be done by what you do on the field, and your legacy is only enhanced by those championship rings. But uh, we actually have some uh, breaking news coming into us. Uh, Andrew Cooley, who has appeared on the podcast just a few times, uh, is waving me down right now. And uh, Andrew, what is the news that you have? So per uh, reports on uh, multiple reports, Les Miles, LSU head coach, has just been fired. Guy who's had uh, 112 wins as a head coach, won a national championship. Big news breaking in college football uh, today. It's shocking to me, and this proves that you know we do record on Sunday afternoons, so it's about 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Les Miles fired as the head coach from LSU. So, Jeremy, you said earlier that LSU should have won that game. Uh, apparently, the athletic department and the AD at LSU uh, thought that Les Miles should have won the game and you know marked that down as the second loss of the season against the, uh, the Auburn Tigers. And uh, obviously, LSU opened the season with a loss against Wisconsin, so uh, we haven't had much time to dissect this but what are your initial reactions with Les Miles losing his job uh to be completely honest with you I'm not surprised uh the culture and climate at LSU has sort of been against Miles here for a little while I mean if you guys remember last year at the end of the season there's a whole lot of talk about him losing his job and it was sort of this uh nail-biting moment when they decided to keep him for at least another year uh but this doesn't really come as a surprise to me I knew that if he lost um you know one or two of his first few games that he was probably going to be out it does surprise me that they're doing it right here in the middle of the season as opposed to letting him coach out and sort of finish with LSU in a more proper fashion. Um, and it looks like here, Ed Ogeron is going to be the interim coach. I don't know if they're going to get much better in terms of results from Ed Ogeron as they would with Les. But um, no, this, this part of me, this is not a surprise. I, I kind of feel bad for, for Les, but I, I think he's got better things ahead of him here. Yeah, so LSU firing head coach Les Miles and offensive coordinator Cam Cameron. Ed Orgeron, who was the interim coach a few years ago at USC, is going to take over the program this year. But uh, this is a team that a few of us actually predicted to uh, be in our final four playoffs. Uh, so LSU starting the season uh, in the top five is no longer ranked in the AP poll. And uh, Kevin... Uh, is Tom Herman now a candidate at LSU? Well, yeah, I mean, Tom Herman's going to be a candidate for any big job that opens up. It'll be curious whether he leaves. I don't feel like Herman, I mean, I don't know when it would, would, would take place or when he would have talks. He seems pretty focused on the season at hand. So I just, I think it's too early and not the right point in the season to be having those conversations. I think all of the U of H fans we have just sort of rolled over in anger <laughs> just hearing you even ask that. But but it's curious to point out there because LSU is one of those programs, again, uh, you know, preseason ranked, a lot of expectations. They come in. You look at their last 22 games. Games against quote unquote power five conference teams, they're twelve and ten, and they're four and five in the past nine games, and that's just not getting it done there. So I'm apparently Miles is a buyout of twelve point nine million dollars, which is a lot of money to say go away to someone. But I mean, given all the the vitriol I've been seeing on Twitter from fans and so forth, I think that this has been a while coming, and I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be rejoicing about this ouster. 
Yeah, very fascinating news coming out uh, Sunday afternoon. And again, thanks to Andrew Cooley, a former podcast guest, for breaking that news this Sunday afternoon to us as we were recording live. Uh, so obviously we didn't have much time to prep, but I, if I'm going to name initial candidates uh, that LSU is going to look at, I think they're going to try to push on the offensive side of the ball, honestly. And so I think Herman would probably be a candidate, and I would not be shocked to see Art Bryles and to see his name pop up at LSU. I think LSU puts winning above all. And I would not be surprised. But if you look at LSU's offensive ranks this season, uh, completion percentage on the FBS, 103. Points per game, 110. Passing yards per game, 119th. So I think they are going to look at the offensive side of the ball at their next head coach. But absolutely fascinating. And I kind of feel bad for Les Miles right now. And I think something that would make him feel better would probably be some wee desserts. Yeah, and with $13 million coming from LSU, he can certainly afford to buy a lot of wee desserts because uh, very reasonable prices there. And if he just said that he was a listener to this podcast, which he certainly ought to be, he would get 10% off of his order. So uh, $13 million would go a long way there. Wee Desserts, located at 3411 Kirby. It is your source, uh, just like we are the Voice of Houston, which we keep forgetting to say. It's a great tagline we keep forgetting to say at the top. The Weekly Brew is the Voice of Houston. Wee Desserts is the... Um, would they be like the the tongue of Houston, the the taste buds of Houston? It's a little, um, it's a little it's get a little weird there. I'm not. I have not been instructed to say any of this stuff. None of this has been cleared with We Desserts. We're sort of allowed to freestyle here, but I can tell you that We Desserts is the most delicious place in Houston to visit at 3411 Kirby. You can also look up on social media. They have a lot of uh, Instagram photos that are gorgeous of these uh, amazing cakes they make for people. These amazing desserts they're putting out constantly. So you can just go by and tell Penny and Jen there. It'll be one of them uh, that the guys at the Weekly Brew sent you by, and you get 10 percent off your order. So if you want some desserts of any kind, uh, even if you have sort of a crazy thing knocking around in your head, you just want to try. They're master craftsmen there, and they can make anything. I mean literally anything so just try them yeah be sure to stop by we desserts at 3411 kirby here in houston tell penny and jen that the guys at the weekly brew sent you by you'll get 10 percent off of your order as kevin just mentioned but if you want to follow us on social media and get more information about we desserts check us out at weekly brewcast just search for that on facebook twitter instagram and youtube uh, and also check out our website, weeklybrewcast.com. We, we post great content there each Monday morning, and it's pushed straight to your inbox. We highly recommend that. But, uh, guys, we have a phenomenal episode on deck. We have a great interview with Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus. He's going to break down the Texans against the Patriots. Also, a little bit of discussion on U of H, Louisville, and the Baylor Bears. So, without further ado, we have a packed show on deck. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew podcast is Mike Renner, a senior analyst at Pro Football Focus. Mike, thanks for joining us this week. And since we are a Houston-based podcast, let's start with the Texans-Pats game on Thursday night. You sent out a tweet before the game that read, the Pats are still favored with a third-string quarterback against a 2-0 Texans team that made the playoffs last year. What am I missing here? Well, rookie quarterback Jacoby Brissett uh, engineered a 27-0 shutout win over the Texans. Should there be cause for concern here in Houston? I think, Tom, what Brissett did last night, engineering, it's a little favorable to him. He only had, I think, 103 <laughs> passing yards. Uh, the, the Texans really, to be honest, gave that one away. Uh, those fumbles right on the kickoffs were kind of just did them in from the start. But, I mean, you, you can't really say too much when he scores zero points. We've seen it from Brock Osweiler before, those kind of those just dud games that he had in, in uh, Denver. He had, I think, two of them in his uh, – handful of starts there where he just refused to get anything going down the field it was just check down check down check down and wasn't uh, you know willing to put the ball uh, into tight windows down the field and I think he really just got gun shy after that interception to Jamie Collins just didn't recognize him dropping there uh, in cover two and just was kind of unwilling to take a chance even when he has the kind of receivers where 
you want to take those chances down the field. So, yeah, it's worrisome, but I, I think it's more just Brock that happens to him sometimes. I mean, you don't want that to happen if you get to the playoffs and whatnot, but I think, I think you're just going to have to accept that that's who he is. Well, Mike, let me say we're delighted to have you on. I feel like I'm talking to some sort of like oracle or wizard or sorcerer with just the numerical knowledge that Pro Football Focus brings to the table, and we uh, we love the perspective. I'm curious, you know, raw counting stats. You know, the pundits would tell us that DeAndre Hopkins is one of, if not the best, wide receiver in the league over the past couple of seasons. Just looking at like advanced data and what you guys know over there that maybe the rest of us don't. What, what would you say to that uh, assertion? Yeah, he's easily you know top ten. I'd put him probably within the top five receivers in the league right now. You just saw some of the catches he made even yesterday, just the sideline catches, just his body control is insane. He can put the ball basically anywhere to him, and he'll come down with it. I think I pulled out a stat before the season that said last year, I think it was 18% of the targets that he saw were just completely uncatchable, which was one of the highest rates of any receiver in the NFL. Just He just has no, he just had no quarterback able to get him the ball in an accurate manner last year. And I, I, I'm not sure... Osweiler is too much better at that, but I think he's, I think uh, he eventually will be better. And I think I just, what you see from him on a week to week basis is dominant play, the guy you really have to game plan against. And I think that's why it's so good that Will Fuller is kind of emerged on the scene right now for the Texans, because you just can't play the same coverages that uh, they were playing last year with that we saw where it was kind of a corner would hang underneath and then a safety would be right over the top of them. Just, bracketing basically snap after snap because you know the Texans didn't have anyone to compliment him so uh, if the more Will Fuller can produce the, the better they'll make uh, DeAndre Hopkins. So Will Fuller's been off to quite a hot start I mean he had uh, two games to start the season over 100 yards uh, Thursday night against the uh, the the Patriots you know he was dialed down a little bit uh, you know a few receptions for about 31 yards how dynamic can he be in this Texans offense and how much does it help Brock Osweiler and I guess Nuke also, you know, being able to have multiple threats on the offensive side of the ball? It's a huge help. I, I kind of already touched on just the coverages. You can't play the same coverages uh, that they did a season ago. And if you're a team that likes to play matchups, it creates huge matchup problems because you just can't put a slower cornerback on Will Fuller. He's, he's going to beat you deep. You can't play man coverage with a cornerback who runs a, four six on a guy who runs a four three he's just going to create separation down the field play after play after play i was a big fan of his coming out of college but i think what everyone knew and what we've seen already he just has stone hands just <laughs> it was a problem again and again at notre dame he dropped about you know probably 400 yards worth of balls there his last year and he's already dropped a, a good number at least over 100 yards worth of balls for the texans he just far too often lets the ball get into his pads instead of reaching out and grabbing it uh, in the air. Nowhere near the hands that DeAndre Hopkins has. Hopefully Hopkins can teach him a thing or two. But but just his ability to get open, though, is already, we've seen, one of the best in the league for a rookie. So I think it's encouraging that he's already produced as much as he has. So we've got a sample size of three games of Osweiler playing for us. And I say us as the Texans because we're here in Houston. But uh, what what have we learned so far about Osweiler? And, and you know, there's obviously the question swirling about is he worth the money and so forth. And then as as an additional question there, what is the best way to gauge a quarterback's worth? Is you know, quarterback rating? There's all kinds of numbers out there. What's the what's the most important number to look at when you gauge somebody's production at the quarterback position? For me. It's. I don't think there's one obviously perfect metric. Obviously, I'd say our grades are the closest thing you can get to a good metric. But the <laughs> we've always said that passer rating, that number, is more a product of 
the passing offense, how the passing offense is doing as a whole. So uh, guys can have, like we saw Nick Foles a few years back, you can have ridiculous passer ratings and still not be, you know, executing to playing the quarterback position at a super high level if, if the talent around you and if the scheme is everything is uh, working out and being favorable. So the uh, for me, probably the biggest number I'll look at in terms of quarterbacks, if they're playing well or not, is yards per attempt. Are you being – that's kind of a measure of efficiency. Is Are they getting – are they, uh, you know, kind of gaining yards on a regular basis? So you can't really have a, a, high, a high yards per attempt and be playing quarterback at a bad position usually. So that to me is one of the numbers I usually look at. But Brock Osweiler right now, obviously, his yards per attempt last night was dismal. I think it was under five. Uh, I think the biggest takeaway that I have from him through these first three games is that he's not, you know, top 10, top 15 type quarterback. He's not going to be even the level of Matt Stafford. I don't, I don't think he's going to be that guy. I think he's still a step up from Brian Hoyer. I'm not sure if that's worth $18 million a year to be a step up from Brian Hoyer, but I, I think the biggest takeaway is that, you know, he's not – He's not that uh, a guy touching on the top 10 of quarterbacks at the moment. The strength of the Texans' defense is obviously that front with J.J. Watt, Vince Wilfork, and then uh, Jadavion Clowney kind of mixing in the end. But they were uh, essentially held quiet on Thursday night, partially due to double coverage uh, up there. But the Texans' defense, it, it's not completely solid. It seems like there's some struggles uh, on the inside linebacker position, also a little bit at the safeties. How do you assess the defense after three games? I still think this is a top-five defense. Uh, I think when J.J. Watt gets back fully healthy and is you know playing at the form we expect from J.J. Watt over the past few years, I think this could be realistically the best or the second-best defense in the NFL. I just think that defensive line has that kind of potential when Jada- if Jadavian Clowney starts putting it all together in more snaps, if Winnie Merciless is out there, you know, rushing the passer like he can, I, I agree that there are some holes, but I-, I don't think there are glaring holes. I think their safeties are adequate. I don't, I don't think their liabilities, they're fairly uh, sound in terms of not busting coverages and stuff like that. Uh, I just, I just had higher hopes for what this pass rush could have been uh, so far. I mean, it, it, the sack numbers look great, but I don't think they're, and they definitely didn't apply that consistent pressure that uh, I had hoped they would last night against the Patriots. Some of that was the Patriots holding, you know, six and seven guys in uh, on most pass plays to stop them. But still, uh, I thought I thought Jadamon Clowney would have more at this point than just the one sack and a few other hurries that he has. So I, I still I still think this defense is, you know, a top five unit. But like you said, there are, there are some issues that I would be worried about. But when J.J. Watt does get back healthy, I think that's going to gloss over a lot of the stuff that you mentioned. And it's kind of encouraging in year three to see Bill O'Brien. Uh, you can kind of see his vision starting to take place. And with a weak AFC South this year, with a lot of teams struggling, Texans look to be the class of the division. I'm not sure where they sit in the uh, the AFC playoff race, though. But when, you, when you're looking at the playoff race in late December, early January, how do you see the Texans fitting in? Do you think they uh, have the potential to make a deep playoff run, or is it going to be one and done, as we saw last year? That's so tough to, to project that far out right now. Uh, just, it's really going to come down to that offense, how it gels. The running game right now looks kind of, uh, does not look nearly as good as I thought it was going to be. Uh, some of that's a lot on the offensive line. Uh, the, just the injuries up front have kind of been a little too much to overcome. They're really not run blocking well at all. Then some of that's on Lamar Miller. He's he turned some runs that, that he just hasn't created the big runs that he did in Miami behind uh, quality of run blocking there. So, 
I really think it's going to come down to the offense. Is Brock Osweiler going to be that guy who, you know, they don't need much from, they just need him to protect the ball and kind of give their playmakers a chance at this point. And he really, he did that uh, in week one, hasn't done it as much uh, week two and three. So I still think that the defense is good enough. I think they definitely will make the playoffs and the defense is good enough to take them to a Super Bowl. But I don't think that they're ready to compete with the Patriots at full strength yet. So you guys, uh, pro football focus, the, the title of the website and organization, but you guys also get into a lot of uh, NCAA Division One football, and that's probably, in this town at least, the more encouraging team at the moment after that Thursday night loss from the Texans uh, would be the Houston Cougars. And uh, right now, currently, they're ranked number six uh, in the polls, and I, I kind of wonder about those polls sometimes because it seems to me like name recognition and brand count for a lot in these polls, particularly in the first third or so of the season. I just wonder from your guys' perspective, how closely do the polls tend to correlate to what you guys have, uh, the team's rank? that in terms of their value yeah we do our own polls as well and they're not crazy off i mean uh, they, uh, usually if a team's winning they're grading out well uh and so usually a team that's you know four and oh three and oh is also going to have grades that match up with that so i think the polls in, in eventually shake out obviously they're far too skewed by the preseason uh perception of teams uh, a lot of the time but uh, I think at the end of the season, they, they got it right definitely last year, and I think they usually do get it right. So, obviously, I was at the Oklahoma game. That, that felt like a momentous occasion, a huge win. Of course, Oklahoma struggled a little bit since then. How valuable, looking back, is that win against Oklahoma now? And looking forward, how big is that Louisville game project to be? No, yeah, that Oklahoma win, I mean, they really needed that. I think as a non-Power 5 team, at this point, you have to go undefeated to make it into the Final Four, into the playoff. Uh, even if it is Louisville that they do lose to and they only have one loss at the end of the season and Louisville is maybe the number one team in the country at that point, I still don't think that'll be enough to get Houston in just because of you know, that preconceived notion of Power 5 versus not Power 5. You know, Just the schedule that they're playing isn't you know, week in and week out, the schedule that someone in the Big Ten or the SEC would be playing. So they're going to get uh, – they're definitely going to get biased against in that perspective, but – it really comes down to that Louisville on that Thursday night. Are they going to be able to, you know, stop Lamar Jackson? I think they have as good a chance as uh, anyone uh, left on Louisville's schedule, to be honest, because I like what Houston has on defense. That's one of the things that I think gets lost. A lot of people assume that, uh, you know, those non-Power 5 schools, they just have playmakers but don't have the horses on, on defense, the defensive line to get after quarterbacks and stuff like that. But Houston honestly truly does at this point, and I think they – that'll be a game that I have circled on my calendar already. And another game that I have circled on my calendar is actually Louisville-Clemson, which is coming up uh, in Death Valley here next week. And uh, Clemson has kind of underwhelmed the season. And Louisville, as you had mentioned with Lamar Jackson, he looks like a, a Heisman frontrunner at this point. Uh, what, do you, what do you make of that matchup between those two teams? Clemson lost just so much uh, defensively. Uh, from a season ago that we kind of knew that that would be a step back. But we thought that they'd be able to offset that by Deshaun Watson, you know, taking his game to the next level. He really hasn't. He really hasn't been too much more than we saw from him a year ago. And at times he's been even worse. Uh, I think Clemson still has a, a good deal of playmakers. It still has a fairly good offense. Uh, it still has, you know, a top 10-ish offense in college football at the moment. But I, I don't see how they can compete with what Lamar Jackson does as quarterback position right now. I don't see how a lot of teams can compete with what Lamar Jackson does as quarterback position. He's just freakishly talented he runs the read option and the option man will go towards him the option man will hang out wide and he'll still keep the ball just because he knows he can beat him he's just so 
Uh, he's so good in the open field. And the, what they did to Florida State was one of the most, you know, impressive performances I've ever seen in college football. So uh, maybe I'm caught up in the moment a little bit, but I think Louisville is probably the team to beat right now outside of Alabama in the NCAA. So speaking of quarterbacks, you got Greg Ward Jr. And for two years, he's been uh, kind of in the background of the Heisman discussions, a dark horse of sorts. But uh, just from your guys' perspective, where does he rank among the active NCAA Division One quarterbacks in terms of how much he impacts a game or how much he impacts the team's season? Oh, he's, he impacts their, them so much. A season ago, he was, you know, their entire offense for the most part outside of uh, Demarcus Ayers. And I think that really hasn't changed much uh, this season. Uh, he really, everything revolves around him their offensive line really is not that good at all. That, that's, that Oklahoma game could have gone much differently if, one, they didn't have Greg Ward, and, two, they didn't have Tom Herman scheming a perfect game plan because the, their offensive line was not run blocking well. They were getting pretty much dominated anytime they wanted to run you know, straight ahead into the teeth of the defense. So what you know, Tom Herman basically said was, we're not going to run at you. We're going to run side to sideline to sideline most of our runs. We're going to roll our pockets, stuff like that, to get uh, Greg Ward out in space. And it worked. You know, Greg Ward, uh, he's great at decision. His decision-making is fantastic. He puts the ball in a lot of favorable positions downfield. Doesn't have a cannon for an arm, but he's fairly accurate on those downfield throws. So I, I, th- I think that him, as much as, you know, uh, probably any other quarterback in the country, it means a lot to his o- – means as much to his offense. So he's he's been fantastic so far in terms of our grading and everything. So. Kevin is obviously a U of H alum. I'm a Baylor alum, and uh, we've had a tough offseason with the departure of Art Bryles, the scandal that has uh, riddled the school, but there is still a lot of talent on campus. Uh, we've got Seth Russell, the quarterback, senior quarterback, uh, kind of struggled a little bit to start the season. Katie Cannon, at wide receiver, seems to be carrying on that Baylor legacy of great wide receivers the past few years. When you look at you know, pro prospects for this team specifically, do you project either Seth Russell or Katie Cannon having an impact in the NFL? And how do you see the Bears finishing this season despite all the turmoil i think katie cannon definitely ends up being an nfl prospect or is an nfl prospect a legit one his freshman year actually two years ago i liked him better than Corey coleman did and obviously coleman bust, burst onto the scene last year had that fantastic year got drafted in the first round but it was two years ago cannon uh, from a physical perspective so i think he has you know upside of a first second early round pick uh, Seth Russell, on the other hand, I, I don't see it as much. I know he's got great athleticism in the quarterback position, but his accuracy, downfield action, that kind of stuff, not nearly on par for what I'd like a uh, quarterback to be in the NFL. Could be a late-round type of guy, but I don't see him going as high as uh, – uh, gosh, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. The guy went to the Jets uh, from Baylor, the quarterback for him. So. Yeah, Bryce Petty. Uh, Bryce Petty, yeah, there we go. Um, but and then a guy in the defense that I actually like is Taylor Young, the linebacker. Uh, I think he's a junior. I'm not exactly sure, but I again I liked him two years ago as uh, when he was a freshman, and I think he has the requisite athleticism to play linebacker in the NFL. So that's another prospect I'd look at for for them. So we talked a little bit about Baylor and U of H, and one thing I'm curious about is coaching because you know Tom Herman is is widely regarded as you know one of the hottest names in coaching. We've talked a lot about him on this show. Uh, do you guys have a way to grade out coaches? Is there a numerical, quantifiable way to assess the value and impact of a coach? And if you guys do, where do Baylor and U of H's coaches rank uh, in that discussion? Now, unfortunately, we only grade out players on the field. Uh, <laughs> coaching is kind of just something that we get a feel for. It's not something we actively grade out. It's probably something we could look into you know when it, when there is a, a lot of times we'll see schemes where it's just 
players are put in a position where they couldn't do anything else and, and they give up first downs and stuff like that. And we could probably give a minus 0.5 to a coach at that point and whatnot, but we don't, we don't, uh, we don't do that uh, at the moment, but just in my opinion, I really like what Tom Herman does. I think there's a reason why he's probably the hottest name in the country and unfortunately might not be at Houston uh, too long. <laughs> Secretly, I'm hoping that he ends up at Baylor after uh, Jim Grobe finishes his one-year interim tag. But uh, I, I think Kevin will be a little bit depressed if that happens. But again, we've got Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus on the Weekly Brew Podcast this week. And uh, Mike, we appreciate you for joining us on this week's show. And for those that don't follow you on social media already, what is the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at PFF underscore Mike. Make sure to follow me. I, I usually... Stick to uh, NFL takes because I'm one of our lead NFL analysts, but uh, I, da- I dabble in some NCAA stuff here and there. So follow me for both. Well, Mike, we definitely appreciate it. And uh, thanks for joining us this week. And uh, we'll try to get you on before the end of the season. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Closing time. Another phenomenal episode of the Weekly Brew Podcast. Thanks to Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus for joining us to discuss U of H, Louisville, Baylor, as well as uh, the Texans and kind of the reaction after the Patriots blowout and debacle on Thursday night. Uh, Kevin, we had the opportunity to speak with him uh, late last week. What were your reactions from the interview? Well, I mean, I think he's, he's, he's spot on, first of all. He actually seemed a little bit more optimistic, I think, than the general Texans fan base after that. Uh, you call it a debacle. I say debacle. It's like tomato, tomato, but... Uh... <laughs> but the point is, he did not seem as down on the Texans as uh, as I think a lot of us have been. So that was he kind of talked me off the ledge a little bit. But it still wasn't great news because that was a horrible, horrible loss. Uh, so it just kind of goes to illustrate that the Texans are not where we would like them to be and where some of the more optimistic and sanguine of us kind of put them at the beginning of the season. But hey, it's a work in progress. Brock Osweiler is still a young guy with not that many NFL starts to his credit. So you know the the bane of mathematicians is the small sample size, and he kind of got into that as well. So hopefully we see some development from him. Uh, of course, I loved what he had to say about the Cougars, who are uh, deservedly one of the top teams in the nation. So it was it was good news all around from Renner. I appreciate the uh, the mathematical uh, perspective that he offered, and uh, I hope we get a chance to talk to those pro football focus guys again. Yeah, Jeremy, he mentioned that two Baylor Bears that he thought stood out as pro prospects were going to be Katie Cannon. He actually said that he thought Katie Cannon two years ago was more impressive than Corey Coleman, uh, who obviously was a first-round draft pick this year by the Cleveland Browns, and uh, Taylor Young, for him, steps uh, Taylor Young for him is a guy that he looks at on the Baylor defense, but I'm curious after listening to the interview, what were some of your thoughts? You know, it's it's kind of funny. Uh, I, I I can't. It, it's hard for me to buy into uh, sunshine pumping when regards to the Texans. Uh, we consistently sort of uh, have difficulty in those situations, especially with New England. Um, I do think Brock, Brock Osweiler is a young guy. He has a bright future ahead of him, uh, depending on how uh, he handles losses like this and moves forward. But um, I can't argue with the, uh, the the numbers part. But just for me, um, as a fan, I have a hard time right now uh, being a, a Texans fan and not maybe looking at the season a little bit differently after Thursday night. Uh, really, really uh, interesting to him for him to talk about uh, Katie Cannon. Um, I always kind of thought that Corey Coleman was the clear uh, better between the two of them. But um, again, uh, Katie is still a very talented receiver. I have not seen what I'd like to see out of him this season, but uh, I guess time will tell. And of course, always uh, good to hear about a defensive player from Baylor uh, being um, a good pick. So, um, but overall, great interview. 
Yeah, definitely. Thanks to Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus for joining us on the Weekly Brew Podcast. And uh, Kevin, the past few weeks, we've been a little bit disappointed. We haven't had many iTunes reviews, but that changed this past week. Yeah, I don't want to get too excited over a single review because with the backlog of time when we haven't had any, there ought to be dozens of new reviews. So this guy uh, or woman, man, woman could be anyone. I don't even really care. But this person is our favorite listener of the week. But the rest of you guys need all to step up because, uh, you know, we're not quite where we'd like to be in terms of the numbers of reviews. But that being said, said, I do want to celebrate uh, the achievement, the accomplishment of this one person who did what we asked them to do. Techno Coog uh, from September 18th left us a five-star review. This is sports, politics, and music coverage that matters, which I agree with. Great coverage of all the sports, politics, and music news that matters to this Houston native. Also, I appreciate the Houston Cougar coverage. You guys keep me coming back for more. Keep up the great work. Uh, you know, we agree. We do do great work, and we appreciate other people pointing it out because we can only do it so often ourselves, and uh, it sounds sincere. So, uh, thanks again, Techno Coog favorite listener of the week. You can be our favorite listener of the week. All you have to do is go to iTunes, click on ratings and reviews, and leave us a five-star review with a little blurb, and we will read it to our thousands of listeners. You'll be uh, sort of famous for a day. Absolutely. And in addition to iTunes, we'd make sure that you follow us on our social media channels to search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Also, we want you to subscribe to our website at weeklybrewcast.com. But uh, guys, we had a phenomenal episode this week. And, uh, if, you know, I never thought that we would actually be breaking news during a podcast. I'm not sure if it's actually breaking news when we discuss it live. Uh, and then we actually release the podcast episode on Monday. But at least we have some content on Less Miles. Uh, but crazy week of college football action. Again, thanks to you, Mike Grinner from Pro Football Focus for joining us. Uh, this has been episode 62 of the Weekly Group Podcast. For my co-hosts this week, Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxson, I'm Austin Staden. We'll see you next week. And guys, please remember, no matter who you are, where you go, or what you do this week, always, always brew responsibly. You've been listening to the Weekly Brew. 